We'll take our text this morning from the book of 1 Samuel. We'll read from chapter 15, verses 18 through 22. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Better to obey is, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. This morning we'll consider the life of King Saul for a bit. You know, God's word is full of examples. We know that. Some are good. Some are meant to inspire us and encourage us and to uh, help us on our way. Others are examples used to warn us, show us what we should avoid. Well, King Saul, that his life is one of those examples of what we should not do. I guess if you were going to put a title to this message, as we consider the account of King Saul, you could call it Avoiding Dangerous Substitutes. The late Bible teacher and commentator and evangelist Warren Wearsby once described Saul as a man who lived on substitutes. Well, not all substitutes are harmful or bad. There's a lot of substitutes out there. People use substitutes all the time, particularly in the area of diet. Sometimes people will use a substitute as a what they believe anyway is a healthy alternative to something else. You can use applesauce instead of cooking oil when you're baking. You can use brown rice instead of white rice. You can use egg whites instead of whole eggs. You can use Splenda instead of sugar. Although I'm not sure that's a healthier choice. You can use margarine instead of butter. Interestingly, over some long period studies, they actually discovered that margarine, at least the stuff that was first invented, had some very dangerous levels of trans fats that could actually affect a person's health. So that isn't always the best alternative. I saw something very disturbing the other day. McDonald's is coming out with something they call the McPlant Burger. This is their substitute for a actual meat patty. It's a meatless burger. It's made out of peas and rice and potatoes. Well, I like peas and rice and potatoes, but if I'm going to eat those, I'll eat them alongside my hamburger, not instead of my hamburger. They're going to test this out in about 600 locations next month. Believe it or not, some of those locations are in San Francisco, and there are others in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, but 
Anyway, if you want to try a McPlant burger, help yourself. You know, not all substitutes are dangerous. But tragically, there are too many people that try to live on spiritual substitutes. These are never beneficial. They always are very harmful and dangerous. And Saul was a man who tried to live on substitutes. You know, as you look at Saul and his beginning here, if anyone should have succeeded as king, it should have been King Saul. It was almost like he was set up to succeed. He could have been the greatest king Israel ever had. He was handpicked by God himself. It said he was head and shoulders above all the other men in the kingdom. So physically, he looked like a natural-born leader. He was strong and healthy. There wasn't another man like him in all of the kingdom. Not only was he impressive externally, but it says that God gave him a new heart. So says that he prophesied among the prophets. And many thought, is Saul even among the prophets? So we know the Spirit of the Lord came on Saul, and Saul had a new heart. Saul also had the prophet Samuel to be there to encourage and to help him. Samuel was the greatest prophet that ever lived. The Bible says there wasn't a prophet like Samuel before his time or after it in all of Israel. Not a word that Samuel ever spoke fell to the ground. And Saul had Samuel as his personal counselor and as his intercessor and his uh, confidant. So Saul had so many things going for him. Why then would a man who could start out so wonderful and so good end up in such tragedy? Well, it's because he began to live on substitutes. One of the very first substitutes we see is Saul trying to offer sacrifice instead of obedience. Sacrifice for obedience. You know, it's interesting that One of Saul's very first recorded sins came in the form of a sacrifice. We know Brother Wayne read that in the Scripture reading. If you go back to 1 Samuel 13, verse 9, it says, And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Well, if you read that verse all by itself, you'd think, well, what's wrong with that? He did a good thing. Well, no, he didn't. He did exactly the very opposite thing that God instructed him to do. We know Saul was facing a battle and uh, he was instructed to wait seven days and then the prophet Samuel would come and offer that sacrifice and tell him what to do. But Saul, we know, he got, or excuse me, yes, Saul got impatient and got tired of waiting, so he, he took matters into his own hands and he went ahead and he offered that sacrifice. The Lord didn't instruct him to offer that sacrifice. God did not instruct him to uh, to make supplication. He told him to wait, to wait. And then when Samuel came, Samuel would do that and tell him what to do. You know, anytime we try to offer or give something to the Lord other than what he requires, it's like a tainted sacrifice. God will not be pleased with that. This isn't the first time somebody tried this. We read clear back in the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter. We read about two brothers, Cain and Abel. The Bible tells us they both brought an offering to the Lord. Cain brought the fruit of the ground or his crops. 
Abel bought, uh, brought a blood sacrifice, a lamb, and it says that God had favor unto Abel's offering. He accepted Abel's offering and he rejected Cain's. Why is that? Well, the answer is simple. Abel gave to the Lord what God required. Cain tried to substitute something else in place of what God required, and God was not pleased. And as you read the account, it just went from bad to worse. Cain ended up murdering his brother, and he was marked and driven away from the presence of the Lord, spent the rest of his life as a fugitive and a vagabond from God's presence. But it all started by trying to offer God something other than what he required. You know, it's been said, God can never be bribed and God can never be bought. But God can always be obeyed. And that's what he requires. He requires our obedience. Out of all the things we can give the Lord or offer the Lord, our obedience is the most cherished. It's the most precious thing we can give the Lord. It's the one thing he will always accept. And it's the one thing God requires. So we know obedience must come, come first. Why is obedience better than sacrifice? Well, if you consider if man had never sinned in the garden in the first place, there would be no need for a sacrifice. Sacrifices were a result of man's disobedience to the Lord. Those Old Testament sacrifices were accepted by the Lord as a payment for sin, but they were never meant to be a, a, a substitute for obedience. Obedience must always come first. You know, sacrifice may be a result of obedience or salvation, but it's never a substitute. All of us know, many know, after we're saved and as we begin to draw closer to the Lord, the Lord may lay things on our heart. He may ask us for consecrations or ask us to give Him things that the Lord can see may hinder us spiritually later down the road. So we offer those things as a sacrifice unto the Lord out of obedience, not, not in place of obedience. If we want the blessing of the Lord, obedience must always, always come first. So we don't want to make the same mistake Saul did of trying to substitute sacrifice in place of obedience. The psalmist says in Psalm 40, verse 6 and 8, it says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. So we see there is no suitable or acceptable substitute for obedience. Of course, when that didn't work for King Saul, he tried a different substitute. He tried substituting blame for responsibility. What is the first thing that most people do when they get in trouble? Or when their sin is exposed or they've made a mistake, they start looking around trying to find somebody else to blame. Surely it can't be my fault. There's an old saying, when you point your finger at somebody, remember there's three fingers pointing back at you. But sadly, too many people, they try to replace or substitute responsibility for blame. You know, it's interesting. Reader's Digest has an article they come out with every once in a while and uh, on people's excuses as to why things happen. And 
They submitted some insurance claims that I'll just read for you very quickly. It says, I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. That was one person's reason for going over the embankment. I guess all the sales blame your mother-in-law. I don't know. One man said, to avoid hitting the bumper of the car in front of me, I struck a pedestrian. Well, everybody has different priorities, I guess. One man was overheard making an excuse to his boss for being late. And he said, you know, I'm sorry, I would have been on time, but I got stuck behind somebody driving the speed limit. So we can see the blame game is nothing new. People have been trying that forever. You look clear back in the Old Testament. You go back to the book of Genesis again. We see this substitute being used by Adam and Eve. You know, as God gave him a commandment, set him there in the midst of the garden, and he said, there's only one thing you can't do. Don't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else is yours. It's wide open. What a wonderful arrangement. They had it perfect in the Garden of Eden. But what happened? They disobeyed God, and they sinned. So God confronted them. He confronted Adam. It says, God called Adam and said, Where art thou, Adam? He didn't say, Where's Eve? He said, Where are you, Adam? God knew where he was. He wanted Adam to realize where he was. Of course, we see Adam's response. Well, the woman that you gave me, she gave me to eat of the tree, and I did eat. In other words, God, it's not really my fault. It's her fault. How many husbands have been blaming their wives ever since for their own faults? God, maybe it's your fault because you gave me this woman. Well, we don't see God saying, you know, you're right, Adam, I'm sorry. Let's, let's get somebody else that's more suitable for you. No, he held Adam personally responsible. Then God directed his attention to Eve. Genesis 3.13, it says, The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? What did she say? Well, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. In other words, the devil made me do it. You know, the devil cannot make you do anything. Satan cannot make you disobey. Satan cannot make you turn your back on God. Satan cannot make you sin. He'll tempt you. He'll lie to you. He'll try to deceive you. We know he's like a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour, but he cannot get you to sin and disobey. In the same sense, God will not force you to serve him or to obey. God will chasten us. He'll call after us. He'll extend love and mercy and grace to us, but he won't force us to obey. The choice to obey or to disobey lies solely with us. We have that choice, that power to try to blame somebody else is fruitless. It won't work. You know, it seemed like Saul tried to blame his failures on three things. He tried to blame his circumstances. He tried to blame Samuel. And he tried to blame others. You know, as again in the scripture lesson, as he was uh, making sacrifice there, he was facing that battle and he was called out on that. And, saying, and Samuel said, Saul... What hast thou done? And of course, Saul said, well, the enemies were surrounding me and the people were scattered. And so I, I forced myself to make sacrifice. Don't blame your circumstances on your failures. And then he said, well, Samuel, you didn't come at the appointed time. 
Well, Samuel did come at the appointed time. He doesn't come at Saul's appointed time. Saul wanted to do things his own way. It's kind of like what people blame the leadership of the church. When all else fails, blame your spiritual leaders. It must be your fault. You didn't perform the way I expected you to. You didn't meet my expectations. And the blame goes on and on. And finally, we read in our text, as Saul was confronted further with his sin, and he said, well, let's read that. 1 Samuel, verse 15. Chapter 15, verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy word, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And he said, well, it was the people that brought the spoil back. It wasn't my fault, certainly. You know what? None of that got got Saul off the hook. We can't blame others for our own personal failures. It will never work. You notice in those verses, both times he said, uh, Saul said, I have sinned. Well, you know what? He admitted he had sinned. Confession is not the same as repentance. Samuel wanted to try, or Saul wanted to try to substitute confession for repentance. He was sorry. He was sorry. All right. He was sorry he got caught. Sorry he got called out, but he wasn't willing to turn and repent. A lot of people say, I'm sorry, or yes, I've sinned. It's not enough. It needs to lead to repentance. Saul was not willing to humble himself and repent. He wanted to blame others for his failures. He tried to substitute blame for responsibility. We see one other final thing Saul tried as a substitution. When these things didn't work, Saul wanted to substitute God's will for his own will. Saul wanted to do it his own way. He wanted to do things how he thought they should be done. He tried to get away with partial obedience. It didn't work. You know, the most dangerous substitute of all is when we try to substitute our will for God's will. Proverbs 14, verse 12, it says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I read a quote one time, and it's, stayed with me ever since. It says, don't go outside the will of God to get something you want because you will have to stay outside the will of God to keep it. The most dangerous place you can be is outside the will of God. Sadly, millions of people try to live there every day. To live outside the will of God is dangerous. It's even worse to die outside of the will of God. That's exactly what happened to King Saul because he chose all on his own to step out of God's will and to stay out of God's will. And we know those decisions, those substitutes for obedience cost him dearly. He lost his crown. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. It cost him his kingdom. Because of his disobedience, it says that the Lord repented him that he had made Saul king over Israel. That doesn't mean that God made a mistake in choosing Saul. It's because Saul chose willingly to turn his back on God and to disobey. He lost his reputation, everything he had, and ultimately it cost him his very life and his very soul. How sad. 
Why did King Saul's life end so tragically? Because he tried to live on substitutes. You know, there is no substitute for plain, simple, good old-fashioned, straightforward obedience. There's no substitute for that. Every spiritual victory we receive from the Lord is through obedience to the Lord. It's how we show the Lord we love Him and trust Him supremely. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's a litmus test for every Christian. If you love God, you're going to keep His commandments. You're going to do what He says. It's how we experience the love of God in the presence of the Lord. It says, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him and will come unto him and make our abode with him. You experience fellowship in the presence of the Lord when you're walking in obedience. You know, obedience is the answer for unanswered prayer. It says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Obedience is the cure for a guilty conscience. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You know, the natural result of disobedience is a guilty conscience, but when your conscience is clear before the Lord, when you're walking in the Spirit of the Lord, when there's nothing between you and the Lord, that condemnation, that guilt is gone. You know, there is nothing greater than walking in obedience to the Lord. It's like that old song says, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's true today. You know, the Lord can help you this morning if you're living outside of the will of God. If you're living on substitutes, that can all change this morning through one simple prayer from the depth of your heart, an honest prayer confessing your sin, yielding your life to the Lord. God will help you. God will save you. He'll transform your life. You'll experience the peace and joy of heaven in your heart today. We have a chance at this moment now to come and pray. Uh, Whatever you're struggling with, give it to the Lord. God will help you. He'll bless you today. Let's sing 171. These altars are open.